let's be honest, I always say this, you know, you're either learning or you're, or you're earning. And sometimes the steps you move are, are from a learning point of view and sometimes they're from an earning point of view. And I talked about those three pillars. If you've got a family to bring up and a mortgage, then you know, maybe it's less about learning the next piece and maybe it's about earning. Welcome to the Search and Succeed podcast. I'm Rob Glass, managing partner of Hunston Partners. We are so fortunate to share many journeys with some exceptional people throughout their careers, people whom are thriving in their area of expertise. And on this podcast, we'll be chatting with them about how they perceive and strive for success within their industry and their life. I hope you enjoy When you speak with Matt O'Kane, there's a real sense of someone truly genuine. Matt, who's originally from the northeast of England, has achieved a lot in his work and life to date. And we're excited to talk to him about his success. He's a family man with ambitious career designs. And Matt's career thus far has taken him to financial services, professional services, management consulting, and the IT services space. He's an artificial intelligence expert, and with this being such a prevalent topic at the moment, it makes absolute sense to hear from Matt how he's learning today about today's version of generative AI and the advice he's giving to his clients, how Matt sees challenges and opportunities and the future of financial services, consulting, and for the human race generally. We're excited to be here again with Matt and to talk with him about his version of success. The title of the, the podcast, Search and Succeed, we're always curious to find out people's perceptions and thoughts on the phrase, but what it means to them. So when you hear the phrase, what does it mean to you, Matt? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, reflect on, you know, it's, it's two things, really. It's not just the search, you know, when you join a large organisation, you have to embed in that, you have to network, and, you know, it's a, it's a new step to, to, to then succeed within that firm so so i like the idea of bringing those two together but also then it loops back around because you know with any particular business these days you're you're not stuck in one particular role so you're searching for the next role and then trying to succeed then so you know i've always viewed this as a continual process whether in a company or moving companies is that you know what's the next success looks like and how to, how to drive yourself to that position yeah i think that's really interesting that you know it's it's always about thinking ahead I'm a big Man United fan, and uh, Sir Alex Ferguson always used to say, you know, you win a game, celebrate for five minutes, but then what's next? What When's the next game, and how are you How are you looking towards that? And I suppose something similar, albeit in a slightly different time frame when it comes to your career, as to what's the next step in your career. Yeah, exactly. I think, to be honest, being in consulting for most of my career, there's a certain push to think about the next thing and move on to the next level, and I think that that does drive you on I wouldn't call myself Sir Alex Ferguson but you know you're always you're always thinking that in that sense but really to be honest sometimes it's good about enjoying the now really sometimes you can miss the the enjoyment of you know the current work you're doing and the the things you're achieving so it's it's, it's a balance do you think there's a we digress slightly but do you think on that do you think there's a part of what Ferguson did there and his mindset that set him apart from the rest because he was straight on to the next thing and he wasn't really enjoying the moment? Or do you think that 
he might have missed the trick and he could have done both. Well, I'm a Newcastle United fan, so there's, uh, you know, you, you bring up some bad memories from the <laughs> mid-90s by mentioning that. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. so I can only look on in, you know, envy of, of what they achieved. And it's always nice to look back on your career and see the things you've, you, you've achieved, certainly. Um, but what did you enjoy at the time? Or were you thinking about the next piece? You know, I think that's, that's life, really. So... Yeah. You know, I always personally, I always try to reflect and, you know, there is the next step, but there's also the day in, day out. And, you know, obviously, you know, being in, you know, AI for, you know, all my career, really, you know, mm. 20, 20 plus years, and we're probably going to that, that background, mm. you know, now is just such an exciting time that I'm just trying to savor this moment of, wow, finally, it's very, very, it's very cathartic for me. But finally, everyone gets how important AI is and how it's going to transform the world. So, um, yeah, like I'm thinking the next five years, but I'm also enjoying this this moment time too. And look, if Kevin Keegan is listening, I apologise, Kevin, <laughs> and uh, I hope that you're okay. But it's interesting the word succeed because, like many people, you relate success to, you know, maybe what you're doing at work, but we are a little bit obsessed with how success represents everything that we do that leads to success at work, but leads to success outside of work as well. And in life, and when it comes to you, Matt, what drives and motivates you towards your version of success when it comes to your work, your life, your family, your work-life balance, et cetera? Yeah, I think it's almost like, the analogy has been around two two mountains really is that you, you're the first part of your career is really about growing your skill sets it's finding something where you have a unique capability that you can bring to the to the world it's it's really a super focus on the individual really and then obviously naturally things like families come along and you know that expands really so so where are you know i'm probably moving on to that second mountain which is around you know, thinking about your children's success and, you know, my children are seven and 10 and, you know, what life are they going to lead and how they're going to be successful in their careers. Um, you know, obviously my wife and I both, you know, to break out into new areas. She's, she's starting a new business. So there's that element. But also there's increasing this element of how much can I pass on to the, the next generation? Um, so, so I've always, I've always really enjoyed working with people who've you know come through as a graduate and started working in this, this space and I give them that advice and some of the people I've worked with you'll probably know who they are you know 15 20 years ago in, in my career are now doing absolutely fantastic running large companies and partners in big four firms they've all done mm. fantastically and that's a really proud moment for me so a lot of what I'm doing at the moment is thinking you know beyond you know the family and beyond that and just how much can you bring people along and set them as uh, set them on their career as well yeah and we'll definitely come on to that because i know that you mentor people and you know i think you're a, you're a career counselor yourself to some degree and have been in the past and you talked about your wife who is a mother of two and is uh, doing a phd and i'm really intrigued just to know the the business that she's starting uh, I don't know how much you want to or can share about that, but how do you manage? You, and you're super busy, no doubt, with you know the time, you know, Capco and and Cognizant and Accenture, and you know we know how much 
uh, what work-life balance looks like when you work for firms like that. How do you manage all that? And do you find it easy? Do you find that you do get success in that respect? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the benefits of, um, you know, my wife and I both come from a consulting background, so we know what it is and the realities and the, the ups and downs and the the points where you need to put work in and you need to work those hours and, you know, appreciate you. Sometimes you need to take a rest. So I think, I think that's there within the family. Um, for me, you have to be open these days with people and say, this is, this is honestly where I'm coming from. I'm going to pick my kids up at 3.30 today. It's a Friday. That's what I do. Don't put a meeting in my diary. I'll just get cancelled. Yeah. You know, clients don't need to meet me at 3.30 p.m. on a Friday. And you can be open about those things. Um, and I think that helps other people understand that they can be open back with their priorities because it isn't just the business world. The business world doesn't run everything we do day to day. We've got families. We've got hobbies. We've got outside interests. We've got our, we've got our own health, which is possibly more important than all of them that we need to look after. So I think one of them is about being open. And two is it's it's really about understanding you know, how much effort you need to put into everything. So, you know, do, do you need to work every hour God sends? Poss- possibly not. You can still achieve most results in a sense of time. Mm. Um, and it's having that balance and that perspective, I think, that really helps mm. me. And to bring people's worst subject into things do you think both of those aspects the mindsets around both of those aspects have changed since uh 2020 and the uh and the pandemic yeah it's i was debating this last week with with a friend of mine and it's it's you know is it positive is it a negative um i think the fact that we're prepared to be a little bit more hybrid and we're having this conversation happily on teams or zoom and all these different methods of communication and we can get work done and we got everyone understood that we got work done during those COVID years. So there is a certain change in reality. Um, in some ways we kind of dropped away a little bit from that face to face and we're lacking a bit of that. And we're, you know, we're trying to line diaries to be in somewhere at the same time. So I, I think the, um, yeah, I think certainly COVID, there are positives, but there are certain cases I think we need to get back to a little bit more of let's be face-to-face and get get work done, really. So it's, yeah. it's hybrid, and we may have switched a little bit too far on one side in some instances. And, and, and your wife, does she find it easy to manage everything that she's got going on as well? No, it's, I think, like I said, it's, it's difficult. We we all have, um, with, with everything pulling yeah, do you different ways ways to be honest so it's, it's how you actually manage that and and for us it's about teamwork really it's about understanding who has the time and you know at the moment we are swapping in and out looking after our son and i'll be out this meeting and i'll pick up for the next hour or so and i i think that's that's teamwork but you know not everyone has that you know good team that they can work together and and that makes it more difficult so you have to recognize people's individual circumstances and you have to work the business world around people's health and people's family and people's other worlds i think i think you can't just ignore those those factors do you find that the health side is one that you look at as third if work family and health or do you really prioritize that as as much as the others because i know a lot of people sometimes do push that to the side and then maybe pay the price a little bit later 
Yeah, it's probably simpler in our 20s and 30s to ignore that side. But, you know, as we get older, suddenly you realise that needs to be its own distinct piece here, really. So, um, so again, you know, and you talk about health, it's, you know, your personal health, it's your mental health, it's your physical health. Um, I mean, one of the fantastic things I've really enjoyed over the last few years is the the openness around mental health being as important as mm. well. And that's that's kind of refreshing, particularly as I think as men we've we've kind of pushed that to the side and pushed it down and kept it in there. And it's just nice to be able to talk openly about that piece. Mm. So it's a third leg to me, absolutely. And I always encourage people to think about you know taking time off and um you know doing those things that that improve your mental health as well as your physical health really yeah i think balancing all the all the aspects that we talk about the the work the family life the the other passions that we have in life outside of those things whether it be sport whether it be anything else just bringing that that balance together and i think that the word balance comes up quite a lot in in the conversations that we have around success is is really important to what you were saying about maintaining mental health and i think unless you're mentally in the right place then it's very difficult to uh make sure that each part of your life is is operating yeah. as optimally as possible um but we we've we've known each other for for quite some time matt um and obviously we know very well what you do and where your skill sets and where your fortes lie but for maybe a lot of the people listening they they don't so just just give us a, a quick bit of uh background as to your current role at capco i know you've mentioned you only, only been there a short period of time but as rob said you spent some time in other consulting organizations cognizant accenture you know we 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 engage with a lot of people across the data and analytics and ai environment and some people's trajectories and career paths make a lot of sense um and it's been quite methodical um and some people have sort of maybe stumbled into it a little bit more. Some people have quite a, a, an analytical mindset outside of work, and that's what's led them into this. But given your personality, your background, your education, is that does it is has your path been one that's made sense? Or is it been one that, you know, it's just become a passion for you and therefore you've decided to really build your career in this space? I mean, to be honest, I'm probably one of the very few people who have almost a preordained path that this was yeah. always going to happen. You know, I you know, I absolutely loved mathematics from a very, very early age, you know, probably my son's age, second year old. I, you know, it's really caught my attention and I always loved that. I loved programming, did a maths degree in stats and and fell, you know, fell into this. And as soon as that passion ignited around data analytics and AI, yeah. I grabbed hold of it. And every single move has been, you know, moved to that. Um so I and I found when I talk to people that actually that's quite a rarity in life. And I've been absolutely fantastically lucky to find what you like and then just do that. Um, and it's less and less. So really it's about you know, how can I help people see that passion, whatever it is, and find that path? Um, but also reflecting, you don't need to find it initially. You know, you can find it at any point in your career, really. And you mentioned that you did a maths degree, and, and that's how you ended up kind of then 
you know, being lucky to that the data and analytics was a natural follow-on. You mentioned before that you thought that in five years' time, when you were walking around Birmingham, that it was going to be just, a, a, you know, the world was going to change. And maybe it wasn't five years' time, but obviously, I don't know, 15, 20 years later, Matt, we don't need to talk with yeah. show everyone your age, but that it was going to have such a major change like we're in today. So could you A, foresee that at the time, and the, the generative AI moment that we're in? But also, are you concerned at all, or do you have any thoughts around the you know the Matto Kane that did maths back in the day, but how Chat GPT and AI is going to change the way that a, a young a young person doing maths and education and, and data science etc is able to do it in the way that you were. I can certainly predict even twenty years ago the fact that like I said all these different functional areas whether it's operations or marketing using machine learning and AI that that felt very obvious back then just the, mm. the amount of time it's taken for you know um each industry to start using ai machine learning is uh, and a lot of our clients that we work with today are still struggling to get that scale and get you know right. to the hundreds of use cases everyone knows there are hundreds of use cases and you know there's there's a piece out in, talking about 10 plus trillion of potential benefit of AI um, a couple of weeks ago, and it, it is there. So I think that was certainly something I saw. This has been the first year, I must admit, where I looked at the capabilities around um, GPT-3 and 4, that I really felt there's a big leap beyond what I'd been you know, pushing for you know, 20 plus years to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the thing that really caught me blindly, to be honest, and I think everyone, you know, everyone likes to admit, you know, to assume that they knew everything or not, not admit that they didn't. The thing that really caught me was the fact that there's coding as a language, the so software languages are just the same as the language we're speaking to each other here and there. And an AI can therefore understand and translate between different languages. It doesn't care the fact that statistically one is a programming language and one is natural human spoken language they're just languages mm-hmm. so our natural language processing capability and the models we've been building have been able to join these two worlds up and that's where i see i was just really surprised by how well a cat gpt can write code for example yeah. um and the stuff we're doing with clients now is you know taking user requirements and user stories and then working out is the actual source code actually writing those user stories correctly. And these two very disparate worlds, suddenly an AI can look across the two of them and join them up. That was a big, big surprise. Um, and I think there's big, big implications now for how change is done within organizations. This is a big, big moment for productivity and change, which which I was a little bit blindsided a, a year or so ago about that. Can I just delve a little bit more into that then? Can you give us an example of that significant change that you're talking about? Yeah, so so for example, some of the work we're doing with um with clients is around using not not directly ChatGPT, but some of the, the open AI capabilities and, and the GPT-4 capabilities to to tie those two worlds together. So to tie the source code, the software developer to the actual business requirements in the business analyst's world. So, you know, as I'm writing the source code, can I document it? Can I test it automatically? 
but can I also check the fact that I'm actually following what we're trying to build in the first place? Yeah. Because there are so many projects we've been on, and we've all been in this position if you're in this world, that you know, you build the the user requirements, or even in an agile sense, your your user stories, you develop something, and then you look at the end what you developed, and it doesn't match what you initially thought you were going to build in the first place. Right. And, you know, now we're looking at AI and actually tying those two worlds together um, and saying, you know, we can match those two worlds, the two languages together and automate a lot of that and probably put about 40 to 50 percent of the cost out of a typical program. So there's a big, big price to go for around productivity. And I think part of the last few months has been scaremongering and people concerned but actually there in itself is a direct example of something really positive and something that you know is an augmentation of what ai brings rather than necessarily hindrance just a quick pause to the podcast to share with you a charity very close to our hearts prevent breast cancer who are just incredibly passionate about stopping the disease before it starts Prevent breast cancer, promote healthier lifestyles, screening and early diagnosis. They make sure 100% of their research funding is focused on preventing breast cancer for future generations. They're the only UK charity entirely dedicated to the prediction and prevention of breast cancer. They're right at the front line in the fight against the disease. And we are right behind them. You know, just to go back on your career, Matt, because... Yeah, I know you're, you're a relatively humble chap, but you know you've had a fantastic career to date. And if we go back ten years, you were at EY, and then number of years at Accenture in very senior leadership role and cognizant. Can you take us in a little bit into these firms and what it's like within these firms, and what it was like back in 2013? Let's just go back ten years, and and how they differ, A, as companies to each other, but also where the professional services, the management consultancy space is today from where it was 10 years ago? Yeah, I think, um, no, I won't won't make any direct comparisons because having many friends and former colleagues in each of these organisations, it's it's a little little bit um, contentious. But I think what unites them all is people with a real big desire to work with clients, help clients, drive new value, drive outcomes. There are a lot of similarities within most of the professional services, systems integrators, management consultants, firms, whatever you want to name them, really. Um, And that certainly unites them all. Um, To be frank, the big change I've seen probably over 20 years um, or about 15 plus years I've been in more of a consulting company is that shift from business consulting to technology consulting. So, you know, we saw that probably about 10 years ago, maybe the rise of digital with a realization that actually you don't do anything business related without technology. You know, there isn't a program which is we're going to change something in a bank and we're just going to write documents and that's going to or write process documents. That doesn't happen. It's always systematic changes, new platforms, data, analytics, AI, these. So there's been a Big, big shift to that realization that technology is important, which has been great. Um, what has taken a certain amount of time is how important data analytics and AI is in in that mix, really. Mm. So we've gone from, you know, it perhaps being a curiosity 
in some places, you know, we've gone back 13, 15 years ago to now and understanding that data is part of everything again. Mm. So, you know, is it's businesses that change, it's technology, and now it's data is seen and and predominantly AI as well driving that. Look, every company is different. I've named four organizations there, right? And they all differ culturally. And I'm not going to ask you to kind of decipher the difference of their of their cultures and what the good and the bad. But when it comes to that shift from <clears throat> business interference to technology interference, but fundamentally the two being intertwined together, do all these large firms do they pretty much make have they made that change at the same time? Do you think that there's any that demonstrably ahead of others, perhaps, or is it? fundamentally that they all do it slightly differently perhaps because of the way that they are and, the, and whether it's client first or something you know or, or outcome based first whatever the case might be but is it just that all the large companies are looking to offer the same value pretty much to clients but in a slightly different format yeah i, th- I think everyone's realized that it's that intersection between business and talent and technology. So I think everyone understands that. Yes. Some maybe some or others were a little bit late to that game or not. Um I think some of them have come down from strategy into that business and technology cross section or down from maybe pure management consultants. So the strategy firms, big four firms, etc. You have some of the technology SIs, which we can see them moving up the curve and trying to look at some more consultative work and reaching into the business when traditionally their their client would have been the CIO. Um, so you have this coming together and the battleground is now really in the center because we know to help clients, we have to be in that central piece. So yeah. you know, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's a conscious competitive set that brought everyone here. I think it is purely problem solving i think one of the surprising things having been in leadership positions in a number of these companies is that the the focus on solving client problems is a lot larger than you think less on competitors you know i don't wake up and think about anyone else i think about how do we solve this client problem and actually we only want to solve client problems as well so i think that's you know that's why we get up in the morning that's why we come to work so um, but that creates a certain amount of competition. With AI and technology and where it is today, how do you think that that's going to help and also hinder the work that you do and consultancies or as, as a whole? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really starting to think of things now. We talked about a five-year view of things. So at the moment, it's really about how many more use cases can we drive? What sort of benefits can we get around generative AI? How can we safely deploy it? It's, it's probably the key one. Once we have it safely deployed, I think we're we're getting value quite easily from it. Um, I think the five-year view is going to be really, really interesting in what it does to the, the consulting side of things as well as the systems integration. So, you know, obviously a lot of automation is going to come to software development. Um, so there's going to be that um, for probably the first time in in our lifetimes, really. Um, on the consultative side, I see a lot of the work you do around program management, project management, change management, all these things. Again, a lot of that productivity being automated by AI. Um, I don't see it's not going to replace the consultant or the software developer it's going to enable you to do twice as much or three times as much with, with one person. Um, so that's that's really where we'll see things. 
eventually, I think it's coming for the call center, et cetera, but it's probably a little bit too early for that in my, my view. I think something something I picked up on when, when you were speaking just now, Matt, is that you said that the uptake in... I guess the uptake from many organizations from a data perspective was a little bit slower than you thought it would have been. For me, in my mind, that begs the question that if all change now or most change within business is dictated by technology, when it was more sort of process change before and we weren't really using the data to back up why we were doing things, why we were transforming, why we were shifting in certain ways, what was the premise of that change? What were people changing based on if it wasn't the data? Well, it's probably some consultant's report who said you should do this, that, the other, I think, if you, if you go back long enough. Um, so, and I still think people aren't making really true data-based decisioning in organizations. I think if you looked across most decisioning in organizations, probably 95% of it would be either human or some rules, some simple rules, et cetera. So we're certainly not in that space yet. Um, but what we should get to is that everything is based mm-hmm. on data. I think that's that's certainly where we're slowly moving to, really. It's interesting, that because I think I think if if you've just got look, consultants, obviously have their value absolutely mm. but ultimately are they going to be able to tell you more or is anyone internally within an organization going to be able to tell you or guide you better than the data probably not so in effect they're just sort of barking at the moon to an extent what what are you actually going to achieve there's all different type of data there wasn't it right i mean it's results it's the data is muscle tellers very easily i'm sure but data has been around forever it's just about a matter of what level of data was used in order to capture results. I suppose to some degree the football thing comes back in, right? You know, before the the or even the baseball days of Moneyball. I think that was the, the name of the, the movie. You know, and it was about, okay, so how many have we won? All right. And how many have we lost? Okay, so there's some data there. But also just, you know, what, what does your eye tell you? And there's still an element of that in sports. And of course, business still has that human element, but of course now you know, there is so much, so, so many so much swathes of data uh, mm-hmm. analytics that is just dominating, I suppose, the uh, the decision making that can be that can be uh, associated with that. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, we've moved from more looking at observational data and, and, you know, what happened last week in the company and that will decide what we do this week. Yeah. To be a little bit more causal with what we do. So, you know, some of the areas that I've you know, I've done a lot of work with some research with MIT a few years ago was around how do you understand the causal impact on one customer with one set of marketing? So, you know, did that that particular set of marketing in that channel with that creative, did that conv- did that piece really convince the customer to buy it or was it something else? Mm. And you could reflect, I think that causality has become more and more common everywhere, really. So, you know, are we... Um, you know, are we pricing things correctly with customers? Are we retaining them correctly? You know, all these areas are, are we've got to think a lot more causal was previously we we're a little just a little bit around look at results and then turn them as face value, really. And there's so much, so much change. I don't know how you stay up uh, keep up yeah. with all the change, Matt. I'm really keen to actually understand how you do that. And yes. 
you know, we live in a time at the moment that's relatively uncertain and quite tough from an economic perspective. And you are working with CEOs and C people at the C-suite all the time, uh, you know, who are constantly looking at their, their their investments and how they grow their businesses. What do you recommend that CEOs should be investing in from a digital perspective in order to keep their businesses moving forward? Well, well, I'm going to be biased, and obviously the you know, the, the scaling of it, uh, you know, AI and machine learning and and data. I think you know where we are in the cycle. There's obviously a look at, at cost, um, and I think there's two ways you can look at cost. Really, one of them is you know you have a certain change budget at the moment. And those change budgets are being, are being squeezed, um, but on the other side, you know, regulation isn't going away. And the customer experience isn't going away. ESG isn't going away. So all these imperatives, you know, still staying there. But you know, you you have to do more with less currently. So you know, the area I'm really excited about is we're starting to use things like AI to tackle that productivity, reduce mm-hmm. the overall cost of change. So you can still hit your ESG requirements, your consumer duty regulation, all these things that you you have to do. Um, but you can do that more with less. So I think that's that's a real, if I was going to, you know, any time I talk to the C-suite, it's about that. It's about how do you tackle that change budget and deliver more. Um, the other side of things around that cost is it's becoming a more predictive organisation, I think, is going to take a lot of cost out. You know, if you can prevent the customer complaining, a complaint is a huge cost to you. It's, and it's an embarrassment and you lose a customer and it's not nice. It's it's negative on all these parameters. Most of the time you can usually predict it's going to happen. And you can use more prescriptive techniques to actually prescribe something, an intervention that stops the complaint. There are many, many instances I think you can get more predictive in the organization and take cost out that way. So I think, you know, We've got to look at cost at the moment, but there are loads of ways that data and AI can assist with that. And, and when you get a call from being a CEO, you've got so many different plates that you're spinning, and cost obviously is right up there. But it, but also as is growth, and as is all, all the things that come into play for their business. But when they're calling you, Matt, and saying, "Right, okay, this world of generative AI, okay, tell me that what we should be doing," and how what what I should be doing today versus next month and the month after when everything's just going to be changing so much and there's so much more yeah. uh, software uh, and enablement coming out. How do you stay up to date with all that, Matt? How do you deal with that level of change yourself personally? Yeah, I mean personally, um, again, I'm lucky. This is something I'm I've always been interested in. You know, it's almost like I, you know, my hobby is what I do for a job, really. In in some ways, so it's always fascinated me, but. You do have to stay on top of things. And, you know, I've never seen it move so rapidly than we have now. You know, yeah. as we've probably been talking, Google will have released their new <laughs> to, to LLMs and ChatGPT will just be in the, you know, something we talked about last week. Um, it is moving at that pace and all. So what I've always done is, first of all, a few things. One, I'm always interested in research. And, you know, every every week I'm reading a few research papers and things like that. Um, and it can be quite heavy. Um, but personally, it, that's the bleeding edge. It's what, what's coming out of research. And if you'd read a lot of the research around transformers, which are the, actually the underlying models that are driving a lot of this, you'd have probably anticipated what was going to come down the line a couple of years, really. So 
research papers might not be a general's liking, but that's how I do it. So I'll, I'll recommend that. Um, the other piece is, you know, getting your hands dirty and trying things out. So, you know, my day-to-day job, unfortunately, isn't getting up in the morning and doing coding all day, which I used to really, really enjoy. Um, don't know why I left that, but anyway, okay. doing that, even if it's once a month, or just having a play around. And, yeah, I hope everyone is trying ChatGPT. The first time you've been able to just play around with an AI that everyone can, and that's mm-hmm. what really excites me. There's no, you don't have to learn how to code in Python or anything like that. You can play around with it. So playing around, trying things out and looking at possibilities. I do that probably more from a coding point of view, but everyone can do that with with what's available out there now. It's, it's interesting you talk about that because it comes back to that searching for success elements. And I could see it in your eyes that you you, you love doing the coding bit. But I imagine it's just a natural offshoot of your your ambition from a career perspective and your career just naturally going on a trajectory that you move away from even some of the stuff that you love to do because, you know, your career takes you in that way and you become more of a leader and it's an offshoot, I suppose, of, you know, wanting to maybe earn more money and just, you know, so actually some of the, some of the things that you do enjoy, you can't do it because you're searching for success in another way that supersedes your enjoyment elsewhere. Yeah, agreed. And look, I mean, let's be honest. I always say this, you know, you're either learning or you're, or you're earning. And sometimes the steps you move are, are from a learning point of view and sometimes they're from an earning point of view. And I talked about those three pillars. If you've got a family to bring up and a mortgage, then you know, maybe it's less about learning the next piece and maybe it's about earning. So let's let's be honest about that. Um for me, though, what has brought me probably away from the coding has been that desire to really solve client problems and to do that at a certain scale across many clients. And, you know, I've done that globally. And the more I'm really super focused, particularly in the UK financial services sector. But even that's absolutely massive. And that's always been a draw. Can I, can I scale AI across many companies and really make an impact? Unfortunately, I've got to leave behind just individual coding to do that. That's just, that's the sacrifice I've made. I'm quite happy to make it. Um, so you, it can't just be the career progression and the earnings. It has to be something else that draws you into that. And I always advise, look at the next step and say, what are you going to get out of that next step? Because you don't want to end up in that next step and not be enjoying your day to day because you work too often. You know, there's too many hours in a week you're working to, to not enjoy it. Absolutely. And talking about different paths that we take, you know, we obviously data analytics and AI has been a constant for you. Um, Something that's also been, uh, which you just mentioned, uh, quite a common theme is is the financial services space, that vertical, uh, which is a space that uh, I guess comes with its nuances um, and can be a little bit more frustrating at times because of the red tape involved. Um, But what do you see as, I guess, the biggest challenges within the financial services space specifically as everything is evolving and, and uh, we're in the time for time that we're in right now? What, what are the biggest challenges for financial services organizations? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, I mean, they largely haven't changed for, you know, at least the last 15 years, I'd say, is uh-huh. that. You know, the focus on regulation and and satisfying the regulator has been you know it's been a big burden for the financial service industry and it's 
held back a certain amount of innovation, mm -hmm. in, in my opinion. So working through them, you know, if you look at where a lot of the banks and insurers are on their cloud journey, probably a little bit behind their their um, competitive set in other industries, I'd argue. Um, and so that has helped, held them back, really. But it's perfectly possible to do this in a regulatory environment. It's perfectly possible to do this thinking about data privacy and the customer experience and ethics and all those things. You have to think about those things, but you can still get to the value. And we've got great examples of companies doing this at scale um, globally, really. Mm -hmm. So the, the prize is there, but you just need a little bit more help to get through the the red tape, as you said, that's, that's going to hold things back. But they're they're there for a very, very big reason. We've, we were all back in 2008 wishing for more red tape. Um, so I'm absolutely happy it's there. We'll yeah. we just got to work through it. A couple of things you just mentioned there, privacy and also security are obviously big aspects within the financial services space. How can the rapidly changing AI or, or general technology environment, how can that really benefit the both both the privacy and the and the security side? Yeah, I, th I think um, I mean I think a lot about ethics and privacy, and I think the whole generative AI piece is going to really bring that to the to the fore. To be honest, so it's 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 how you bring those aspects together. But mm. you know, I'm interested in some of the work we're doing around consumer duty, which is you know if you're not in this space, it's uh, you know it's a regulation about ensuring the customer is put first, which you think would be pretty obvious, but What's great about that, it is driving regulation, um, but actually is getting companies to use data more intelligently and predict, for example, when they have a vulnerable customer. And vulnerable customers interact with banks and insurers and financial service organizations all the time, and they make mistakes and they need more help. So if you can use AI machine learning to identify them, to open up different channels of communication, to help yeah. them get them products and things it's a fantastic outcome so you know the, the, what would be a regulatory change actually can have a really positive impact on the on the business and on the the customers themselves i think that the questions that you're cybersecurity, i think is is something that's clearly uh, going to be high on ag the agenda for a lot of organizations everyone's in a different moment as far as their understanding of what ai brings but and so for, from the layman all the way through to the, the expert it's probably a case of, you know, especially when it comes to financial services and your personal banking or business banking or whatever the case might be. It's pro I imagine it's one of those things that that your clients are asking a lot from you to ensure that they are right at the forefront of that. Yeah, exactly. I think um, again, things like how do we open up to ChatGPT is is a great example. So you know, people started using ChatGPT and. In their day-to-day -day working life, um, you know, we have some horror stories of things being leaked through to it. To it, um, yeah. names there, um, and people are taking data out of the organisation, putting it through ChatGPT. So we, we've had the horror stories, and actually, what what has that meant is that most companies have shut off access to us. Um, so we have possibly the biggest productivity technology we've ever experienced since probably the advent of the internet sitting there we have the biggest costs 
and market issues we have around where the market is currently and the needs to be more with less. We have the answer, we have the problem, but you know, we, we can't we can't use it at the moment within organizations because of those cybersecurity risks and data privacy risks. So yeah. that's that's the real space I'm trying to help clients with at the moment is how do you safely get into your environment, doing it a very, very safe way, get the value, and let's make the most of this productivity thing because it's it's fantastic, it's come along. Is it a simple solution or not? I mean, like everything, you have to think about everything from governance to ethics, to security implications, to data privacy. Um, but, you know, AI has been around for a long time. We've got the solutions for most of these sitting there from a traditional, I can't believe I'm saying traditional AI, right. <laughs> but the old stuff, machine yes. learning and all, all that basic stuff. So um, the, the, all these components are there. You can actually put them together and get something working. And we actually have clients now who are getting value out of it. So that's my that's my call to action is really think about how do you how do you move that forward, really? And no doubt you're pretty busy with that at the moment. I um I mentioned that, that earlier on in the conversation, I, think I called you a career counselor. And and the reason I did was because when I was doing a bit just a bit of research for us to do this podcast, I looked back through some recommendations on LinkedIn, and it was someone who you had career counseled um, earlier on, and they were just hugely appreciative and obviously wrote something nice about you. And you're in a position of, of responsibility. You are a leader, Matt, of, of people. So when it comes to you know, education and choices to go from a work, from a work or a career perspective in the future, what would you advise that future generations, what choices would you advise that they make? Well, I, I, I guess it's the it's that whole follow your passion thing. You know, anecdotally, I only have one observational study, which is my my career to go on, and you know that's certainly drawn me through, drawn me through these many many years. Is that I just got excited about something, and I knew that you know it, it, every morning thinking about that in a work sense would would be a, a fun career, and it has been a fun career. So that's always my advice. Yeah, you know, analytics, machine learning, reading research papers might not be everyone's cup of tea. So <laughs> your passion may be elsewhere. Um, but I think also more and more is yes, there's technology. You might not be as interested in the specifics of the technology, but it's touching on everyone's lives now. So if you're in a more creative industry or you're more thinking around the business aspects, then you can take that technology and develop a passion of how that is applied and how that's going to change where you work already. So you can certainly meld the two together, in my opinion. I think that's just great advice, isn't it? To be able to enjoy what you do. I think some people say that actually your hobby being your job maybe isn't the best advice because you don't want to end up hating your hobby. So it's really about getting that right balance, isn't it? But certainly to really be passionate about what you do. People ask me what, how I got into executive search. And, you know, like most people, you, you fall into our industry to some degree, but you have to have a passion for, for, for people, I suppose, because if all you're fundamentally interested in is making a fee out of moving someone, you know, you'll only last so long. And that's kind of how we've moved into the search and succeed methodology for Hunston Partners. But because we're obsessed a little bit with people, people's success and how we can help advance that ourselves. And so it's great to hear that you work in, an, in, in a career where you are 
where it's where it's your passion. I imagine there's loads of people that you have worked with and that work with, and I'm not going to ask you to name anyone, but that who you can tell don't love it in the same way that you do, but are just in it and it's more of a job than it necessarily is a hobby. And therefore there might be a little bit more of a finite career path for them potentially. I guess I guess so. I can probably only think of the positive examples of people who've, you know, I've seen that same same passion. Um I think as well, this you know, 20 years ago, this wasn't interesting for people that, you know, it wasn't on people's radar at all. So you know, I used to talk to people about data and their eyes would glaze over. I could see it in their eyes. They went, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll just go to sleep here. Um, <laughs> but now it's possibly the opposite, really. It's where yeah. this can be really shiny, but are you really interested in this space? And, you know, you could see a lot of people who may want to jump on that bandwagon, but you have to be prepared of how you're going to enjoy that. Yeah. So... Like I said, you, you have to find, do you, are you going to enjoy reading research papers? If you don't, then don't get stuck into the actual nuance of how these models work and things like that. Think about something else. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you have to be a little bit careful now, and it's, it's a surprise to say that, really. And I think that data maybe isn't quite as sexy as AI, for argument's sake. So when, you know, when, when we're talking about it, you know, artificial intelligence just sounds cool. And I think everyone also it's now a big part of all of our lives whereas you know ai used to be just for the data scientists and it was something that was done and it was in the in the background and now it's just a such a prevalent part of our lives that not only do we need to sit up and and really take stock but actually as you say people are a lot more interested in it than than perhaps they were in the past look matt this has been so great to chat with you it really is and there's just so much great content that you've given us here i you know i think i think just understanding you and a lot more about you and how you clearly have found your own success on this part of your journey and you know with the rest of the journey that you're going to go on you're clearly incredibly passionate about something that is right at the forefront and right on the tip of everyone's tongues at the moment and it's just amazing to talk with you about it you're clearly someone that looks forward looks at the next steps but the here and now is about your time at capco your kids having chicken pox supporting your wife with a phd in business and you clearly got your hands full um so we you know, truly appreciate the time that you spent with us here today right yeah i just speak to you guys thanks matt thank you for listening to the search and succeed podcast please subscribe and follow us on instagram twitter and linkedin we'll see you on the next one Thank you.